everyone. Welcome back to the Spirit of Prophecy podcast. Appreciate you tuning in for another episode, and we hope you all learned something today from this particular podcast. And today I have a guest with me, Brother Scott Clem from out in Wyoming. And Brother Scott Clem, uh, he's somebody who uh, knows a lot about this subject, and he he just recently did a debate on Standing for Truth against full preterism and uh, he has a channel called preaching and politics where he talks about a lot of different uh theology that is out there he just did a video specifically on on full preterism so he knows this subject very well of preterism and we're going to talk about preterism partial preterism historicism and futurism many people are not real familiar with these terms and even if they're familiar with the terms they don't really have a good grasp on what people are teaching when it comes to these things. And so Baptists, we're, we're really good at successfully demonizing a term. And often Baptists will even demonize a term they don't really understand. And then whenever there's an argument, they'll just kind of stamp that label on somebody whenever they disagree. And, you know, we need to be able to explain when something is a heresy. Obviously, every religion out there, uh, every false religion, you know, they have major heresies, but they also have some things right. It is not okay when somebody believes something that's in line with the Catholic Church, let's say, like the virgin birth, and then label them a Catholic because of that. And the truth is, there are some things that we could probably see in some of these other camps that we're going to be talking about that they get right. But if you end up agreeing with those things, a lot of pe- times people will try to stamp a label on you, thus, you know, branding you a heretic. When in reality, you're probably they're probably not really a heretic, and so we got to watch out for that kind of thing. And I cringe when people do that because I am familiar with these things, and I understand, you know, why preterism is a heresy or when preterism becomes a heresy, and not everything that they say is false. So we need to watch out for that. So today uh, we're going to try to educate you on these terms, and then we're going to explain uh, why we hold to the positions that we hold. So, Brother Clem, thank you so much for coming on the program. If you want to go ahead and tell everyone a little bit about yourself and also your YouTube channel, you can do that. Yeah, appreciate it, Tommy, and uh, thanks for the invitation to come on and to share these things. My name is Scott Clem. Uh, I've been married for... 19 years, uh, have five children. We had our fifth not too long ago. She's about seven months old and she's the doll of the family. Everybody loves her. So we're just enjoying her. Um, I've been in all various capacity of of ministry, uh, serving as a pastor, a youth pastor, a deacon, Sunday school teacher. Uh, Currently, we're uh, really just kind of starting a small work out of our home right now and so uh, and besides that just really trying to plug into the online community and uh, i do have a channel as tommy mentioned called preaching and politics um you know the two things that you're never supposed to talk about those are the things that i like to talk about and so you know i i've been pretty light on the politics part of that channel it's been mostly theology and i think that's really more where my passion lies Um, but i am involved in political things as well i served in my state legislature for three terms and i'm currently serving as the uh, chairman of our local county gop in fact i've got a meeting scheduled tomorrow that we're that we're going to be doing and so i'm involved in both 
I think it's good for people to be engaged. Uh, everybody's concerned about the direction of our country and for good reason. You know, we have a deadbeat in the White House. Um, but our true hope is in Christ. And that's that's the thing. I think that's where I always come back to theology is, is that emphasis that, um, yes, politics and, and, and the affairs of this world are important. But what's what's truly important is Christ and his kingdom. And, you know, when we think of, you know, quote unquote, building the kingdom of God, you know, it's built one soul at a time. It's not built through policies and, you know, the things that we you know, get politically engaged. And I'm not saying any of that's bad. I'm saying we should do that. Um, but we need to keep the emphasis on that, you know, the kingdom is built by souls being saved. Um, you know, where they're, they're delivered from the darkness of this world, the powers of darkness translated into the kingdom of his dear son. And so that's really what we need to be about. And um, that's really my focus. So anyway, Amen. thanks. Tommy. Yeah. And for sure, you know, I think it's important. We all have our priorities straight. And the, but the truth is, it's okay for us to talk about topics that we just enjoy talking about. If somebody enjoys talking about politics, I don't see why they can't do that every once in a while. Obviously, if you're a pastor, you probably don't want it to be in the pulpit every week. Uh, but at the same time, you got to have those side things. And and for me, I enjoy talking about prophecy. But I do think you know your manner of life and uh, way of life uh, is more important than politics, but I like, or not that politics, but by, than prophecy, but I'm interested in prophecy too. And so that's why we have this channel uh, all about prophecy or things related to prophecy. I think that's very important. And, um, and so understand too, ladies and gentlemen, this channel is not going to just be an echo chamber. It is, I will talk to people who I might not be in 100% agreement with, and people that I might even dislike occasionally. Now, this is not the case with Brother Clem today, but uh, there, you know, there will be those times. Um, now, I, I don't dislike this person either. I actually have an interview scheduled. I'm going to go ahead and announce it, I think, I, um, with uh, Pastor Chuck Baldwin. I'm really looking forward to hearing what he has to say. Um, I've not listened to a, a lot of his teaching, but I have listened to some. I typically enjoy what I hear from him, but you know, I don't fully understand where he's coming from on some things. And so we're going to, I'm going to talk to him just about his position. I'm not going to argue with him, might not agree with him, but I want to hear what he has to say. And I, th and so I'm, I'm looking forward to that conversation. I know y'all are going to enjoy that. That should be coming up real soon. But anyway, I want to get to uh, our subject of today. And that is, you know, preterism, historicism, futurism. So, Preterism is a term that, honestly, I did not even know about until probably seven or eight years ago. I did not know it was a thing. Um, apparently, it not only is it a thing, it seems like it's growing. It seems like many people are jumping on the preterism bandwagon. In my opinion, I think it's because of all the bad eschatology that's being taught. I think it's just turned people away from a futurist position it's causing people to say, you know, where is the promise of his coming? And it's like Hymenaeus and Philetus are back. Uh, you know, it's, it really does feel that way. But if you would, if you could, if you can go ahead and explain to everyone uh, preterism and what it is exactly. Yeah. Um, so when we're talking about these terms, preterism, futurism, historicism, even idealism, these are terms that really focus on the perspective one brings to the scriptures, and in particular to future prophetic events. 
And so many times when we're talking about these terms, it's going to have to do with, say, the Olivet Discourse. So Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, the book of Revelation, um, and, and Daniel. And depending on which camp you're in, you're going to have various um, ideas on how all of those books interplay together or, or, or what they're talking about. So when we're talking about preterism, it comes from the Latin term praetor, which just means that which has gone past. And so there's, and, and, and I, I, let me just throw this in there too. When we're talking about these terms, oftentimes there are more nuanced terms associated with it. And when you're talking to someone, you almost really need to nail down right from the beginning, you know, what is your definition? What are you talking about? So I was just corrected the other day when it comes to preterism. I, I like to use the terms full preterism and partial preterism. But there are others who, who talk about orthodox preterism and, and unorthodox or heterodox preterism. And so um, some of these terms can mean the exact same thing, but they're used in various different ways. There's that nuance. So when we're talking about full preterism, we're talking about the idea that all, all f what we would consider future prophetic events, that they've all taken place in the past already, right? So... For the full preterist, there is no future second coming. There is no future final judgment. There is no future final resurrection of the dead. According to the full preterist or the heterodox preterist, the unorthodox preterist, all of those things have taken place in the past. And so in one sense, we could say that this, this heresy has been around for a long time. Uh, Brother Tommy just mentioned uh, those two characters uh, that Paul... Uh, talked about how they said that the resurrection is past already, um, but really, preterism as we know it today really started to take form during the Counter Reformation, in which a Jesuit priest, um, in in trying to take the heat off the Pope, um, they came up with something called preterism, and that's kind of the modern view of of preterism today. But in a nutshell, that's what preterism is. It's the idea that everything has been already fulfilled in the past and there are no future prophetic events. Partial preterism or what might people might call orthodox preterism says that, yes, there are many prophetic events that have been fulfilled already, um, including um, portions of what we might say the Olivet Discourse, but the second coming the future resurrection of the dead, the final judgments, uh, those types of things, that they are all yet future. And this is, this is, you know, in comparison to some of these other perspectives, these other views. So, you know, the, the direct opposite, the polar opposite would be futurism, which, again, I believe is something that was part of the Counter-Reformation. I think both preterism and futurism, as it exists today, have their roots um, from, from the Jesuit order. Uh, futurism is the idea, and, and that's probably something that most people are familiar with. This is what was taught in, in church circles that I was a part of, in Baptist circles. And it's the idea that, that all of the Olivet Discourse, so let's just take Matthew 24, because that gets the focus, that all of Matthew 24 is, has yet to take place, that it will all take place in the future. And so there is this emphasis with, with futurism that, that all of the prophetic events that people like to argue and bicker about, that they have not found fulfillment, that they will find fulfillment in the future. 
versus say like the partial preterists who will say, you know, some things have taken place, but there are some things that we still look forward to. So it's kind of more of a mediating position. And I'm speaking in generalities because again, these things, people are gonna argue and bicker over these terms. Then you have someone called the historicist. Now the historicist is someone who believes, you know, when we're talking about, for instance, the book of Revelation, they will say that the book of Revelation um, is, is talking about events that continue to unfold. So from the first century all the way up until now, that prophetic events have been unfolding. And so we are, the historicists would, you know, would, would look at the scriptures and look at the book of Revelation in particular and say, you know, where are we now in the, in the course of prophetic events? And that is the view that the reformers took. So the reformers believed that the Pope was the Antichrist. There was, of course, various views as to where people were, you know, you know, where society was within the prophetic timeline of events. So, you know, where are we at? Are we at the are we at the sixth seal? Are we at the fourth trumpet or, or whatever? And that's really the big question. So. Um, so you have these various perspectives. And, and again, I, I've heard this from somebody else. Um, you know, if we're going to kind of talk about futurism, preterism or historicism, you can really kind of pin it down by the questions that you ask. So the futurist is going to see Revelation 4 through 22 is all yet future. You know, the, the rapture happens in Revelation 4. And so the futurist is going to say, you know, how close are we to Revelation 4? The preterist is going to ask the question, you know, when did it happen? And they're going to usually land on 70 AD. And the, the partial preterist is going to say, you know, what has been fulfilled and what, what has left to be fulfilled. And the historicist is going to say, you know, where, where are we now? You know, where at in Revelation can we, can we, you know, say that we're at? And so those are the various perspectives when it comes to future prophetic things. And Again, there's some nuance. People are going to vary in their views. They may have a mixture of some uh, of some of these views, uh, and so you know it, it makes for creative uh, discussion when you're when you're talking to people who maybe cross some of these things over. Yeah, I agree, and you know, and I think it is important for people to understand the nuanced views of it too. Because let's just go in the futurist world, okay? Which you know, pre, mid, post, trib people. Uh, we're all in what we would call the futurist camp, but even just in the pre-trib world, okay, any pre-trib Baptists that are following this, you know there's a lot of variety in there. You have those who teach Matthew 24 is the rapture. You have those who teach Matthew 24 is not the rapture. You know, everybody's, you know, interprets a lot of these scriptures very differently. You've got non-dispensational pre-tribbers. You've got dispensational pre-tribbers. You've got your hyper-dispensationalists and, you know, your Ruckmanite types. And so there's such a variety just in the futurist world, and it's the same thing in the preterist world. And so uh, often whenever, again, whenever people hear something they disagree with, you know, Pat, you know Brother Clem, you, uh, you would consider yourself a partial preterist. I am not willing to, I, I have not embraced that term, even though I have been accused of being a partial preterist. I think part of that too is just because um, I still think of preterism as just like this nasty thing. But again, it's about knowing why it's a problem. It's not about a demonizing a term, but it's about what is associated with that term. And I keep telling people this. The heresy that they dealt with in 
the early church, it was that the resurrection was past or that there was no resurrection of the dead. Uh, you know, so a denial of a resurrection that makes you a heretic. I would go as far as to say that makes you unsaved based on what Paul said in first Corinthians chapter 15, you deny a future resurrection of the dead. You de you're denying the resurrection of Christ according to first Corinthians 15. Yeah. And I thought you did a great job in that debate. I'll leave a link uh, to that debate in the description of just calling out the inconsistencies uh, in that guy who was trying to make it like a spiritual thing. And first Corinthians 15 can't be any more clear. He was, I noticed he was trying to say that, you know, that, that spiritual body is one that we get when we're in heaven. Uh, it's not something that's here on earth. But if you read that whole chapter, Paul is clearly describing, you know, he takes the time to describe what kind of body we come back with. In fact, uh, I don't have the quote in front of me, but when uh, they asked what kind of body you come, you know, he called him a fool. It's like, you know, I always read that and I get a little sensitive because it's like, seems like a pretty good question. But then he goes and, you know, he he's basically showing, it's like with the seed, you know, you put it in the ground, but it dies first and then it produces a tree. And it's very clear that it's this body that's going to be changed into a mm -hmm. physical body. And I agreed when, you know, you were explaining I believe we're going to have a body like Christ did. Christ had a physical body after his resurrection. And that was super weird when he was claiming like the, that body doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And it's like, whoa, wait a minute. You know, he's, he's our high priest ever living to make intercession for us. You know, his body is the New Testament, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, we have to have the body of Christ always around. He is the proof of our salvation. I did not know preterists. I don't know if that was his own thing or if that's what most preterists believe, but that to me is a huge heresy Yeah, to teach something like that. And so, but the, so the thing is, I mean, when it came to what I would consider, you know, fundamental things, you know, you defended those things very well. But then when you start saying things that uh, go against many, what many in the futurist camp, say and you know you brought up the how the jesuits started the kind of the preterism but also with the futurism somehow people got it in their head that almost all prophecy from the old testament is even still yet to come and mm -hmm. same thing with the olivet discourse when you start talking about some of that stuff like it already happened people lose their mind and they just start screaming preterism yeah. but understand neither of us here are denying resurrection of uh, resurrection of the believers the coming of christ but yet people really do lose their minds over it and so let's go let's go ahead and talk a little bit about i guess what what do you believe is still yet to come i, I like to ask it this way um this is something i'm going to ask pastor baldwin when i talk to him but i feel like clarence larkin shaped the thinking of almost everybody when it comes to futurism at all we've got larkin's chart it's called daniel's 70th week and everybody's still calling it that mm -hmm. um he's got the seven seals vials and uh trumpets all in that chart i feel like we're all arguing about the arrangement of those events in the chart but uh some of us would say those events have some of those things have already happened and if you do, if you claim any of them happen, you get people in the pre-mid and post-trib world 
calling you a preterist. So in your opinion, you know, what of, of the classic Larkin future events would you say are already passed? Yeah, um, that's, that's a, a great question. And, you know, I, there was at one point in, in my life where I would have said that I was a, a pretty staunch futurist. And again, that's, that is the mentality that we have today. And, and I think it's worth pointing out that if we lived, say, during the Reformation period, um, I, think, I think a lot of us would be shocked um, at, at how people viewed life and viewed the scriptures and that it would be very different than, than from what we view today. So it goes without saying that, yes, futurism, Larkin, um, Darby, Schofield, that these people have had a huge influence when it comes to fundamental um, circles, you know, back, back to circles. The thing that really started to tip things for me is, and this is where I think the the, the emphasis um, is 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 not good. It's 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 lost. It's misguided in some way in our circles. Is that we don't focus enough on the things that have been fulfilled, and that's really the question. And so, you know, I when I come across certain scriptures, like so, for instance, I'll just re- read a couple of these. So this is in this is Peter. He's talking to Jews, and this is in Acts chapter three. And verse number 24, he says, Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that followed after, as many have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. So this is something that a preterist would argue is say, look, they were anticipating things to be fulfilled in their very days. And this is what Peter seems to be saying. He says, You are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, In thy seed all the kindreds of the earth will be blessed. Unto you first. Um, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you and turning away everyone from his iniquities. Then you have the Apostle Paul, a little bit later on. Same thing, he goes into a synagogue in Acts chapter 13, and he says in verse 32, And we declare unto you glad tidings, that's the gospel, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children. So he's pretty clear on that. And we see the same thing. So, for instance, in the book of Romans, in in Romans 15, verse number 8, now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision, that's Israel, that's the Jews, for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. And so I think it's important to, to go back to the first century and realize what did Paul, what did Peter, what did these people think actually occurred with the, the first advent, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ? And it was the fulfillment of many prophetic things. Now, what was, you know, what was unanticipated what, was that there was going to be a second advent um, and that there was going to be a resurrection of the dead later on. And so, you know, that is made for, you know, a mixture of, of, of views when we think about future things. But what's clear to me from, from the scriptures is that, you know, Christ came to fulfill the, to fulfill Israel's story. I like to say that, um, you know, the, the story of Israel um, finds its, its terminus and its telos in Christ, something, something along those lines. In that, Israel was, was God's creation. It was God's servant to, to bring blessing to all of the other nations, to fulfill the Abrahamic promise. Um, God chose one out of the many, not for the sake of the one alone, but that through the one the many might be blessed. Of course, Israel failed in their mission. So Isaiah, uh, you know, chapter 42, 
uh, really up to like 55, really talk about that, how, how Israel found itself in bondage as well. The rescuer is in need of being rescued. And so you have Isaiah chapter 49, in which Jesus is the, he fulfills Israel's vocation. He rescues, he raises the tribes of Israel. He restores um, the, uh, uh, you know, the, the something of Judah. I forget the, the, the exact term. But the point is, he not only rescues Israel, he also is a light to the Gentiles. And so he fulfills Israel's story. He is the one who fulfills the Abrahamic promise. It is through Christ uh, that that God's blessing is is made to all of the nations. And that's what Peter was talking about in, in Acts chapter 3. Paul says the same thing in Galatians chapter 3. And so those things certainly have been fulfilled. We, you know, the, the new creation, which we all think is future, and, and there is some sense in, in which that is true, right? We're not living in a new heaven and new earth, you know, contrary to what the preterists say. That is something that we anticipate in the future. Um, we are not living in a sinless time. There's still marriage and, and death and childbirth and war and rebellion and Satan. All of those things continue to exist. I mean, that's pretty self-evident. But there's going to come a day when, when those things will cease to exist, um, when, when the, the, the perfect kingdom will be, will be ushered in. And so those things are certainly still future. The second coming of Christ, then, which really is that demarcation time to where the dead are raised, all of that stuff is still yet future. Final judgment is yet future. The defeat of death, you know, uh, Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 15 that, that he, talking about Christ, must reign until all enemies are under his feet, the last enemy being death. I mean, death is an enemy. Um, you preach plenty of funerals, and so have I. You know how much of a, an enemy death is. It steals our loved ones. And so, um, but there's coming a day when death will be no more, when death will die. And in some sense, so this is where it gets interesting, is because in some sense, that victory has already been won because Christ overcame death. And in Christ, those who are, you know, quote unquote, in Christ, we share in that victory. We have. We have died with Christ. We've been crucified with Christ. We've died with Christ. We've been buried with Christ. But likewise, we've been risen with Christ. And so we share in that victory. So there's some of this element of already not yet. And I think this is where, where Paul, when he's talking about you know, how, how Christ came to confirm the promises, and he, and he did. And so he's defeated death. And so I, you know, what I've heard it, this this example, and I think it's good, is it's the difference between you know D Day and V Day. And so this is kind of a World War II example where, you know, when we think of the Allies storming the beaches of Normandy, you know, people people say that that was kind of the turning point in the war. That that was that was D Day. That was when the war was effectively won. However, the war continued. Um, and, and it wasn't until V-Day, Victory Day, that, you know, when the war finally ended. And so in, in a similar fashion, what Christ did on the cross is likened to D-Day. That is when he defeated death. That is when the greater exodus was, you know, was inaugurated, where people are delivered from the bondage of Satan, sin, and death. And we share in those things and so the victory has been won, but we wait for that victory day when finally the devil is cast into the lake of fire. And so, so this is where, you know, it's, it's not, it, people want an either or. And, and it doesn't seem to be that way in the scriptures. It's, it's oftentimes both and. You know, we, um, we, we, we have victory now. 
um, but that victory will be made consummated, you might say, in in the future. And so that's that's kind of where I where I fall on things. I recognize, and, and this is where you know more in my in my time and my ministry now, I'm focusing on the things that have been fulfilled that that I think are often overlooked. And so this is one of the things. You know, I'll, I'll shut up because I can ramble on there, brother. Um, but Acts chapter 13, one of the things that Paul says to to the Jews that are in that synagogue is he says, beware, lest there come upon you that which was spoken of the prophet. You know, beware, you despisers. And he goes on from there um, that, you know, even though you won't believe, even though a man tells you plainly. And of course, I'm butchering that verse and paraphrasing it. But the idea is, is, um. They just suffered from unbelief. They refused to believe that Jesus was the fulfillment of those prophecies. And that's where I, you know, if, if I'm going to be hard on the futurist, that's where I'm, you know, I'm saying, hey, wait a second. You know, are you are you overlooking that which Christ has already done and accomplished now and are placing it into the future? And if you are, that's kind of a form of unbelief. Because you're you're not saying that you just flat out don't believe. You're just saying that you don't believe that Christ really accomplished something significant in the past, which I think he has. And so, and I know not everybody believes that. Um, I'm, I'm harder more on the, the, when I think of futurists, and again, this is where we come into those definition of the terms. You know, when I think of futurists, I think of those who take Matthew 24 in particular and throw that all into the future. They disregard any kind of connection to 70 AD and the actual context in which Jesus was speaking to four of his disciples in a private conversation. And so that to me is untenable. That that to me is, you know, you're not taking scriptures in context and you can't just take all of that and lump that into the future. That's not being genuine with the text. No, I agree. And so, yeah, and tell me if you agree with this statement, because... Um, when it comes to the prom, the messianic promises, I do believe that Jesus fulfilled those things spiritually at his first coming, but mm-hmm. we are awaiting for a physical fulfillment of those things too. You know, for example, we are saved, but we are waiting for the redemption of our bodies. I believe that Jesus um, is, I, I believe the kingdom of God is here spiritually, but we also, and I believe Jesus is ruling and reigning spiritually but we are waiting for a literal physical manifestation of that too that i believe is to come in the future and you gave several good verses where um you know the apostle said these things are happening i think the one of the most overlooked uh ones that people uh make about the future is in acts 3 in verse 26, or verse 25 says, Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant, which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. So Peter is preaching that as if it already happened, yet people go to Romans 11 and say God's not done with Israel because look at what's promised for them. Peter preached it as though it had already happened. And so the mm-hmm. thing is, we got to ask the question, so what's the difference? Are, do they believe or do they not believe? And if they're an unbelief, these things aren't going to pl- apply to them. They can't claim the promises. They have to believe. And you have those who go as far as acting like they're just all going to get saved, you know, in the future, which I, I think is ridiculous. But 
I do think in the in the futurist world, we've done a poor job of of teaching the spiritual fulfillments of these things, and we only talk about the physical. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's a mistake. And then I think we also fail to, I think, give a good reason. And I do think I do think there's a reason for this of why we're still here. Because, mm-hmm. you know, that's something that, you know, I, I think about a lot. It's like, why are we still here? It seems mm-hmm. like Jesus should have come a long time ago. But, you know, and I'll, I'll get, kind of give you my thoughts on this. You can tell me what you think. But I think another thing that's not been talked about in the futurist world is what was Jesus looking for from Israel at his first coming? I think you can find out exactly what he was looking for if all all you have to do is go back and read all the passages that are quoted from the Old Testament um, at his triumphal entry. If you go back and do that, that tells you exactly what he was looking for. And so what I believe... I believe just like God gave Israel roughly 2,000 years, that I believe God has given the Gentile world 2,000 years to build his kingdom. Israel was supposed to be building the kingdom, but they were shutting people out of the kingdom and they weren't even going in themselves. And so I believe God's given us that same amount of time. And and here's another thing. I don't know. I don't. I don't think you can make. You know. I, I think I could make a good argument that the apostles early on in the book of Acts didn't fully understand a lot of that stuff. I think as time went on, they started getting a hold of it. And it's a very interesting study. Whenever to study the New Testament chronologically, not just you know Acts through Revelation. But when you're reading the epistles, when were they written? And you'll notice there is some shifts in the later epistles on things, especially when you get to Peter. But uh, Because another thing people ignore, too, is in the book of Acts, the apostles were mainly focusing on getting Israel saved. Because I believe they were trying to uh, save them, not just their souls, but save their nation, to save that city that they loved, but in Acts 28, I, I think it wasn't until Acts 28 that they fully got a hold of the fact that they're not going to be saved. And that's what verse, when it gets to verse 27, it says, or um, in verse 25, and when they agreed not among themselves, they departed. After that Paul had spoken one word, well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers, saying, go unto this people and say, hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and not perceive for the heart of this people is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Be it known, therefore, unto you, that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning, reasoning among themselves. I believe that's at least when Paul fully got a hold of the fact that Israel is not going to be saved. That was written after Romans was written. The book of Romans was written before Paul went back to Jerusalem. You know, against the uh, you know, against the leading of the Holy Ghost, because it was his desire for them to be saved. He could wish it himself were a curse for his people, and they would have been saved if they would abide not still in unbelief. But he went there, 
He preached. He got arrested. They didn't listen. Acts 28 gives him another final shot. They still don't get it. And it was only a short time after Acts 28 when they when they died. So tell me if I'm wrong on this. So what Paul is preaching in Romans 11, am I wrong in saying that, because I believe when he said, and so all of Israel shall be saved, he's basically showing how they will be saved is what he's doing. I don't believe he's saying they are going to. And so the what Paul was preaching about in Romans, it was possible then if they as a nation repented. But that has come and gone. Therefore, that no longer is a possibility. Am I wrong in saying that? Yeah, no, I, I would I would agree with you. I think it's talking about the process um, mm. more more than anything else. I think it's important to remember again, you know, to distinguish Israel as a people versus Israel as a corporate body, namely a nation, right? And so Jesus was was really clear in, in Matthew. He gave a couple of parables when he essentially said that, um, look, you, you, the kingdom of God is going to be taken away from you and given to another nation, you know, who's going to bring forth the fruits thereof. And I believe that corporate body that he is speaking of is a multi-ethnic, multinational corporate body, i.e. Christ, the body of Christ, um, the, the church. And so I do not believe that Israel as a corporate body, as a nation, will ever have the, um, the place that it once did in the Old Testament. I truly believe that Christ is um if you want to say the replacement um we could say that but it, but he's certainly the continuation of that corporate body in other words um you know he he is the fulfillment of of what israel was supposed to be all along and the continuation of that in that all those who are quote unquote in christ now are that one new man that one new humanity that that corporate body who is to show the rest of the world what god is like now, as it relates to Romans chapter 9 through 11, you know, I think what Paul is doing there is, is um, he is explaining how the, the, prof, the, the prophecies, the promises of God have not failed. Because when you look at Israel as a corporate body and you say, well, wait a second, they, they, don't, they don't believe they rejected their Messiah. So has God's promises failed? I think this is where Paul is trying to explain that, no, um, God's promises have not failed. And then he goes on to explain all that. So I would agree with you. You said earlier, you know, as far as I, I, you know, I don't think they had it all figured out. And I think we see instances of that. So Acts chapter 15 is another one where you have, you know, you have this Jerusalem council. They're trying to figure out what do we do with these Gentiles? And I think that's evidence right there that they didn't have the, the full understanding, the full gravity of what Christ has done. And so we see that unfold um, throughout throughout the rest of the book of Acts and also in the epistles as well. Um, when it comes to Romans, again, 9 through 11, you know, there's, there are those who believe, and this is, this is more along the lines of futurist camp, and, and in particular those who believe in, you know, some kind of form of dispensationalism, essentially that the kingdom of God was postponed, right? That it was put in abeyance, that Jesus came, he offered the kingdom, but the Jews rejected Jesus, and so Jesus went to plan B instead. You know, okay, I'll put the kingdom on hold, time out. And, and the kingdom will start back up in the future, you know, when it comes to the tribulation and all that kind of stuff. Um, and of course, I'm kind of breezing through that, but you get the general idea. And what I think what Paul is doing is, is I think he makes it very, very clear that that is not the case at all. Nor has God 
Um, so he asked the question in Romans chapter 11, you know, has God cast, I have it right here, has God cast away his people, you know? And Paul says, God forbid. And why is that? Well, he gives the example of Elijah and the 5,000 who hadn't, you know, bowed the knee to Baal. What Paul is essentially saying is, you know, did God really cast away Israel? And Paul is saying, no, he didn't cast away Israel because I'm part of that believing remnant. You know, I'm from the tribe of Gen Benjamin. And so there is a sense in which you could say that that Israel was not cast aside or believing Israel because who who were the who were the apostles? Who was Peter? Who were the 120 in the upper room? Who were the thousands of people that got saved at Pentecost? Who was every single saved person from Acts 1 to 7? They were all Israelites, right? That is true Israel. That is believing Israel. That is that is Israel that has found its identity now in the Messiah, in Christ. And so Paul, I think, is saying, look, God hasn't cast away his people because he is Jesus as, as the one new man and all of us in him. That is the true Israel uh, moving forward. And then he talks about, well, what about what about all those who have, you know, rejected Christ? What happens to them? Well, he, he echoes the warning from... Uh, from Moses in Deuteronomy 18, Peter said the same thing in Acts 3, you know, hey, if you despise that prophet, you're going to be destroyed from among the people. You're going to be cut off. That's essentially what Paul says. But Paul also says that if they abide not in unbelief, they are able to be grafted back in. Now, that's not saying that there's going to be a future corporate body of Israel as it existed before, but rather he's saying that they'll be grafted into the true Israel. They'll be grafted into Christ if they abide not in unbelief. And so when Paul talks about, you know, how, going back to that whole process question, he essentially says, you know, he explains how unbelieving Israelites are going to get saved. And they're going to be provoked through jealousy. Why, why, should, why should those unbelieving Jews be jealous? Jealous of what? Paul goes on to say they should be jealous of the fact that Gentiles are now partakers in their promises. Right? Which is why Paul says... You know, I'm apostle to the, to the Gentiles, and I magnify my ministry. Why does Paul want to magnify his ministry to the Gentiles? To make his unbelieving brethren jealous, mm -hmm. so that they will then in turn receive Christ, receive the promises, and be grafted back in. And so you have this, this, um, you have this process in which the rejection of, um, of Christ by unbelieving Israel has resulted in the gospel going forth to the Gentiles, and now the Gentiles, having received those promises and being engrafted into the true Israel, are now making unbelieving Israelites jealous. And through that jealousy, they're coming to belief in Christ as well. And that process will continue until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in and all Israel is saved. In other words, what, what he's explaining is what I believe is that this is the process that has gone on through the last 2,000 years. I don't, I don't believe in this future, you know, regathering of the, the Israelites and there's going to be a final generation and they're all going to accept Christ. That sounds, when you look at it from, from the perspective that I'm going to espouse here, you know, does that mean that, that God doesn't care about all of the other generations that have come before? Like they're all just damned to hell. And of course not. There's been, there's been believing Israelites and believing Gentiles that have been saved all throughout history. And, and it, it, is, it is by this process. And so I don't think, I mean, could there be a future end times, you know, regathering of Israel? Sure. 
um, maybe there is, you know, and I'm, and I'm open to that discussion. But I, what I really think is what Paul is saying is, look, unbelieving Israelites are going to get saved, and this is how they're going to get saved. They're going to be provoked to jealousy because Gentiles are going to come into that covenant family now. Um, and they're going to receive the promises too. And this process, this kind of back and forth of Israel and, and, and the Gentile nations is going to continue until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in and all Israel is saved. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I think that is talking about. Yeah. So yeah. I think where, um, you know, maybe a lot of futurists or pro-Israel people would kind of put us uh, in the preterist camp or think something we both agree has already been fulfilled is are those promises many of those messianic promises to Israel. We believe they've already been fulfilled. And for some reason, they're ignoring tons of prophecies. So, so those Old Testament prophecies, I do believe most of them have been fulfilled. I mm -hmm. do believe that there's a lot of um, foreshadowing things that uh, you could apply to the future. But I believe the direct application has been fulfilled. And I also believe there's tons of negative prophecies against Israel in the Old Testament. And you referenced it, and I'm going to read it because the, they were warned about this. Acts 13, 38 says, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things, from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you, which was spoken of in the prophets. Behold, ye despisers, and wonder, and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. So right there, he warned them about what the prophet said. Well, I, if the prophet said y'all are going to get saved, I mean, what's the warning? No, it was very negative, And that which the prophets warned them about, it did come upon them, I believe, in, in that generation. And so... Uh, what many pro-Israel people are looking for in the future, it already came. The Messiah came. He turned iniquity of them when he paid for their sin. The, and that did not mean they automatic salvation. They had to believe on him. They had to accept him. But uh, we're out of time for today's program. We're going to go ahead and shut this down, and we're going to continue this discussion for tomorrow because I do want to talk a little bit, bit more uh, about kind of historicism and some of the explanations on that, because I, I think that's another area where a lot of people are not familiar. But here, here's what we've got to understand. Preterists, futurists, historicists, we all believe God's going to keep his promises. You know, we got to stop strawmanning saying, you know, you guys are teaching God broke his promise to Israel. No, we just disagree on how. We all believe all things are going to be fulfilled. We just disagree on maybe how they're going to be fulfilled. And I think when it comes to many of these things, uh, there's a really good conversation that we can have. But if we're all too busy just slapping labels on each other and screaming heretic, we're not really going to get anywhere. So uh, hopefully you got something out of this program today. And make sure you join us tomorrow as we speak again on the subject of preterism, historicism, and futurism. God bless you. We'll see you all tomorrow.